morning we're going to be in Hebrews 11, starting with verse 32. And where we left off last time was, you know, we're in our fourth out of four sermons in chapter 11 this morning. And last time we left off with more heroes of faith, and we're going to complete that this morning. And we left off with Joshua and then Rahab, the ninth and tenth. And we know that Joshua and the children of Israel circled the walls of Jericho for seven days. But the Bible doesn't tell us what road or what route they took. Personally, I think they took the Jericho Turnpike. <laughs> sorry. I, it just it rubbed off. I'm sorry. <laughs> but this morning we're going to talk about, especially in verse 32, we have six people, six more heroes of faith. And I, categories, I put each two into categories. The first two were, had issues with fear. And, and again, we, we look at these uh, you know, again, if, you, if you're not familiar with the Bible, you tend to think that everybody in the Bible that God used was perfect, and that's absolutely not true. They struggled with things like you and I. They had diverse issues like you and I. So the first two we're going to talk about that had issues with fear. The second two had issues with the flesh. And the last two, in verse 32, had issues, or actually they were very faithful, but that didn't, that didn't mean that they were perfect. So we're going to jump in in verse 32. And it says, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets. So 32, we see Gideon is our 11th profile in faith. And you can find him in Judges 6, 7, and 8. He had the faith to progress really from a coward to somebody who was very courageous. And the only thing he wasn't afraid of was to tell the Lord that he had fear. It's the only thing he wasn't afraid of doing. But we find him uh, threshing weed in the wine press. He was so fearful of the enemy, the Midianites, that he was you know, in the low level so that he couldn't be seen threshing the wheat. And, you know, he had this, you know, God approaches him. He, he you know, speaks to him. And he says to him that he wants him to go fight the Midianites. And Gideon pretty much says, listen, somebody's got to do something about these people. And God says, well, how about you? And his attitude was, whoa, not me, Lord. Somebody has to do it, but I certainly don't want to be the one that does it. So Gideon, we find out, is a reluctant warrior. But God makes a mighty hero out of him, a deliverer. As a matter of fact, the name Gideon means warrior. And this is the beautiful thing about God. You know, he is very involved in our future. He has a certain future for us. I think the, the trick or the, the challenge sometimes as people of faith, faith is to find out what does God want me to do? Everybody in this room has a future. Everybody in this room, God has a plan for your life. Everybody in this room, God wants to empower you, wants to bless you, wants to strengthen you, wants to set you on fire for the purpose that he has in your life. And we find that out through reading the word and through praying. So this is one of the messages. Sometimes the scripture can be uh, very convicting. But this morning, I hope everybody's encouraged by what we read in the word. So Gideon had 300 men and de defeated around 135,000 Midianites. Those are better than 100 to 1 odds. And God still uses people today to beat insurmountable odds. It's almost as if God says, come on, stack the deck against me. Watch what I can do. As a matter of fact, he told Gideon, he started with, uh, I think, 32,000. 
He whittled them all the way down to 300. He said, because I don't want you to think that it was you when you're victorious. I want there to be so few men that you realize that it was me working through you. That's the beauty of our God. But you know what? Gideon eventually owns the position. And this morning, some of us need to own what God is trying to do in our own lives. And we need to pray about that as well. I mean, we could look around and say, somebody needs to do something. Somebody should, but it's not me. I don't feel adequate. I'm afraid. But maybe what God wants to make you God-adequate. And he can do that with anybody. So consider that this morning. The second person we look at in the Hebrew is Barak, is his name. You can find him in Judges 4 and 5, and he's our 12th profile in faith. Now, Barak means in Hebrew, lightning. Again, but when we read the story about him, he's anything but lightning. You know, he's uh, like a little spark, maybe, on a 9-volt battery when you put your tongue to it. Come on, don't tell me I'm the only one who did that, please. <laughs> but if this guy, he needs Deborah, the prophetess, to coax him into fighting the Lord's enemies, Sisera and the Canaanite army. Barak basically says to her, I'm not going unless you go with me. He wanted her to pretty much hold his hand. Now, this wasn't even a romantic thing. He just was afraid. The Bible is filled with fearful people whom God used to do mighty things. So this morning, if you're struggling with fear, boy, this message is for you. If you're struggling with fear, the Bible is filled with men and women who had fear, but they trusted God to do great things through them. Listen, it's, it's already, listen, after nine years of preaching, you're in a fishbowl up here and everybody pretty much knows your life. All they have to do is piece the messages together. So I'm going to share a personal testimony in my life. Growing up, I, I had a lot of fear. My dad wasn't around and, you know, we moved around a lot and um, it was a rough childhood. I was very unhappy most of the time. And then I, I turned to other things as a teen and a young adult. But the bottom line is I had a lot of fear. And one of the reasons I became a police officer many years ago is because I was tired of being afraid. I didn't know the Lord back then. That would have been a better idea all around, uh, but this was my idea. And then I was afraid of bees, so I became a beekeeper. <laughs> and then I found out that bees will send, or bee stings send me to the hospital, but I decided to keep my bees. So I don't know what I'm going to do next. I don't know if I'm going to jump out of a plane, but the bottom line is that we have fear. We have fear. We all have fear. But God may want to do something inside of you to help to quell that fear and to cast your cares upon him. And perfect love, the Bible says, casts out all fear. Right? They're mutually exclusive and they're on this kind of balancing continuum. The more you receive of the Father's love, your fear abates. It subsides. The more fear that we have, we're, we're, we're blocking him out. We're not allowing him to come into our lives. We're just so focused on that fear and you can become a prisoner you can make a prison of your own making and live in that fear. And that's not God, what God wants for us. So I want to encourage you with that to allow him to release you from that prison. Now it turns out Deborah did go with him and there was a victory for the children of Israel. However, it was a, a Jewish woman named Yael and he, she's buried deep into the Old Testament but she actually kills the commander of the enemy army by, and it's kind of graphic, she puts a tent peg through his skull. But, uh, you know, she wasn't afraid. And I want to digress just for a moment about women in the Bible. There's a grave misconception about this subject. As a matter of fact, I, I found an article that says, What the Bible Says About Women by Joanne Ellison. 
And I don't think this article goes far enough. Because as I look in the scripture, I see Deborah, or Deborah, who was a, a mighty prophetess, and she actually went into battle with uh, Barak because he was afraid to go by himself. And, and we have Yael. And then we have Rahab. I love Rahab. We talked about her last Sunday. And we have Sarah, and we have Mary, who is probably, by all accounts, a teenage girl who the Lord says, you're going to carry the Messiah, right? I mean, wow. So brave young lady, uh, ostracized by society, at least for a time. We have Abigail. I love Abigail. Her husband, the Bible says, was a fool. He was an idiot. And she keeps his, the village and, and the people in there from getting destroyed by having a, a, a lot of wisdom. And she talks David out of his anger. So Abigail is awesome. Mary Magdalene. And on and on and on. See, you, you hear these misconceptions parroted by the Christian haters. Well, I heard. And I usually say, stop for a moment. Did you read the Bible? Well, no, but you know, the, somebody said or I read somewhere or research. Well, read it for yourself and then come back and have a discussion with me. Because the Bible's very clear. The next two profiles of faith we see have to do with struggles in the flesh. And usually people will admit they have fear, but maybe less inclined to admit they have struggles in the flesh. So I want you to be encouraged with this as well. We have Samson. We find him in Judges 13, 14, 15, and 16. And there's a real misconception, even the way some children are taught about Samson, that he was just all like a bodybuilder, all muscular and real confident guy. But the, the issue is, in, in our 13th profile of faith, is that Samson struggled with his flesh. His whole life he struggled with his flesh, his impulses, his bodily somatic desires whether it was food or sex or anger or adventure, he rarely abstained from his impulses. But you know what? God used him. God used him. Did he have failures? Too many to count. But he had great faith in God's abilities. That's one thing that never changed about Samson. Through all his struggles with his life, he always believed that God could do, even till the very end. And at the end of chapter 16, we find Samson, as a result of his sin, blind, weak. He was a slave and they were mocking him. But you know what? That's what sin does to us. It blinds us to the truth. We don't see things clearly anymore. It makes us weak. We might think we're strong, but when we're in sin, we're weak. We're, and we're a slave to that sin. We're a slave to our impulses and our fleshly desires. And we're mocked. I mean, the Bible, the Proverbs says that wine is a mocker. You continue to abuse yourself with substances, you become mocked. So all these things happen to Samson. But you know what? At the end, he prays to God and asks for one more time that he could deliver the children of Israel. And he does, and then he dies. So a few points to make on Samson, because he is an intriguing character. Number one is that Samson struggled with his flesh his whole life, and his trials were self-caused. Sometimes we will go, oh God, why are you doing this to me? If we really think about it, Sometimes we do it to ourselves. It isn't God. It's just the result of our own foolishness and sin. But God is a merciful God. As a matter of fact, God's relationship with Samson was a picture of grace. Well, there were times where God had to withdraw his protective hand from Samson. And, and he suffered for it. But he was always available even to Samson's very end of his life. Now, I want to parse this understanding is that we can make a mess of our lives through sin. But God is always waiting. You know, I, you know what I love about my God is he, love, he loves prodigals. There might be some prodigals in here this morning. 
that you've, you've walked away or you've turned your back or you never knew the Lord. And you know what? In Luke, Luke 15, Jesus d- dedicates a whole chapter to explaining how much God loves prodigals. Right? The woman who's looking for, she's got ten coins, one's lost. She, she throws everything apart, tears up the furniture to find that one coin. A picture of a lost person. And the sheep, you know, the shepherd, he has a hundred sheep. What does he care about the one that goes astray? But it's a picture of God. Of course he cares about the one that goes astray. And then we hear the story about the prodigal son. Boy, I love that. That warms my heart. God loves prodigals. Samson's name actually meant sunlight. You know, and when uh, Hebrew families named their children certain things, it wasn't trendy like today. Either there was a prophetic meaning to it, or it was really something that God could do in that person's life to fulfill a purpose. Not everybody realized that. And not everybody realizes that today. But it's always available. And then we find Jephthah in Judges 11 and 12. He's our 14th profile in faith. He had the faith to deliver the children of Israel from the Ammonites. Failures? Big ones. Number one, he started out as a raider. And I don't mean an Oakland raider. I mean a real raider. They went on raiding parties, looting. And then, you know, the, later on in his life, he gets embroiled in a civil war with the Ephraimites, which doesn't seem like he seeks counsel for that. And I think the worst one was a foolish oath that he makes to God. You know, he says, Lord, if you help me to conquer, if I, you know, if you bring me into these, uh, bring them into my hands, when I come home, the first thing that comes out of my house, I will offer as a burnt sacrifice. Well, guess what? He did win. And when he came home, his daughter comes out of the house. <gasps> Uh-oh. I mean, what did he think was going to come out of the house? A chicken? A lamb? I mean, I mean in those days, you, your animals hung out with you in the house. It was, it was different than today. They slept in your bed with you and such, but... Uh, it was a foolish oath. Now, we don't believe that he actually did sacrifice his uh, daughter. He had to do some damage control, and he may have offered her as a perpetual virgin to the Lord, uh, but, you know, she had to suffer and not get married and raise a family because her father did something stupid. So he was an impulsive guy too, it seems. He bargained with God. He was impulsive. He promised God things. Do we do that sometimes? Right? But God still deals with us. He still wears with us. He still loves us, as he did with Jephthah as well. The last two profiles in this verse uh, have to do with really two people that are generally faithful, not perfect, but consistent and trustworthy, and we'll look at them. David, our 15th profile in faith. His name means loving. We've been covering this on Wednesday nights in Samuel uh, first and second Samuel. But he had the faith to remain a man after God's own heart. David desired to please God in his heart, to do his will, but it doesn't mean that it always happened. Did it, if we know the life of David? You know what blesses me? You know what sometimes gives me the strength to continue to come up here and stand before you as a sinner? Is the fact that, and Vinny's, Pastor Vinny's been teaching in Romans, Romans seven thirteen to the end of the chapter. The Apostle Paul speaks about, you know, I, I want to do the things of God and then I sin and I have these two things warring inside of me. I have my, my spirit that wants to please God, but I also have the, this body of flesh, this body of death that unfortunately I'm stuck with until the day I die. And they war against each other. And I read that and that was the most profound scripture I ever read. And it, 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 it just, you know... <laughs> These are the things that help to push us through. 
to help us to stand up and raise our hand and say, all right, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm not perfect, but I want to be used by you. So I want to encourage you with that as well. And we know David, his heart was there. He wrote his personal devotions in the form of the Psalms that Pastor Paul's been going through on Wednesday nights. Failures? Well, for all of David's accomplishment, when he sinned, he sinned big. Uh, Most of you, if you don't know much about David, you know about the Bathsheba and Uriah incident. However, when he was confronted, he was quick to repent. Now, he was the king. When Nathan confronted him, he could have said, ah, off with your head. I don't don't like what you're saying. Guards, take him out. Could have done that, but he didn't. He repented. So my question to you and I this morning, are we quick to repent? Because that's the wise way. Because God can work with us when we do that. You know what? I'm busted. <laughs> Let's just take personal responsibility. That's lacking in our society today. It's always somebody to blame. I do something wrong. I commit a crime. It's my parents' fault. It's the government's fault. It's society's fault. It's always somebody's fault but mine. I will tell you, I'll raise my hand and be the first one to tell you that even as not a believer and a believer, I can make a mess of my own life myself. I don't need anybody to help me to do it. Trust me. I could do it all by myself. But David had a great faith. He believed that God could do absolutely anything. And there was no limit to what the Lord could do through his life. And God rewarded him for that faith. And let me encourage you with this as well. Okay, Pastor Joe, I saw that I see that they have their limitations. I see they have problems. But they all had this great faith and I'm not there. It always starts off small. God gives us a measure of faith. And you've got to watch it grow. But you, like I said, you can't watch that oak tree from a sapling and just stare at it. It's never going to grow. You've got to give it time. You've got to leave it alone. You come back 10 years and that thing starts to move. It's very impressive. Samuel, our 16th profile in faith. We find him in 1 Samuel. Here's a guy who's an obedient prophet. He's tough. He's gritty. He's not afraid to stand up to King Saul and oppose him to his face. And the word Samuel means heard of God. Yes, he was heard of God. He was heard of God, but he also listened to God. And that's the relationship that we need to have. And I think that's the challenge that we have in our society. It's a very busy, we can, we can keep ourselves occupied all day long with all forms of media and electronics and communication. And I think the challenge for us, and me as well, is to just take that quiet time. Sometimes when I'm walking the dog, I'm, I'm praying to the Lord and people pass by and they probably think I'm nuts. But you know what? It's just a time for me to walk down. It's a very uh, quiet street. And uh, my, my neighbor, she, she sees me. She passes by. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's okay. If you see me moving my lips, it's normal. I'm just praying. But we need to listen to God. And I think that's the challenge. To just be quiet and say, Lord, what are you trying to show me? What am I not paying attention to? God's not going to beg for our time. He's a sovereign God. We need to make time for him. However, Samuel, sadly, his sons didn't walk in, in, father, in his father's ways and they were rejected by Israel, so he had his issues too. Probably broke his heart. You've heard of pastor's kid syndrome. This was the priest kid syndrome. You notice it happened with Eli and Samuel and Aaron. It was, it was a difficult thing. Satan is, is going to attack those that, that God uses. And it's, it's, you know, we really need the power of the Holy Spirit to keep it all together. But Samuel held the office of a prophet, priest, and a judge. He also speaks about the prophets in here, doesn't he? True prophets in general had an arduous task of always having to speak God's truths, no matter how unpopular. And to make it even more difficult, 
the fact that the false prophets were always working against them. They always tell the people what they wanted to hear. So, you know, if you're struggling maybe and you're listening to counsel, and, and it happens today. You want to hear what you want to hear? Or do you want to hear the truth? Sometimes people just want to hear what they want to hear. It just feels better. But it's detrimental to our growth. I want to read to you uh, Luke 6, where Jesus speaks about the false prophets. And I want to put something together here. Luke 6 in verse 22, Jesus said, and speaking to his disciples, he's speaking to the leaders, he said, blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and cast you and cast out your name as evil for the son of man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy for indeed your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner their fathers did it to the prophets. Moving on to verse 26, he says, But woe to you when all men speak well of you. You're doing something wrong if that's the case. You're not telling the truth. For so did their fathers to the false prophets. There's a lot of charlatans today that, that want to almost become like motivational speakers. They're not telling the truth. You know, I look at, uh, I don't know, how many of you are familiar with as a mathematics Venn diagrams? I kind of like those, you know, the, you had the circle and then another circle and they overlapped. But you, let's say even as a pastor or a preacher or somebody in ministry, there's, you're, you're in that one circle. And then you have prophet and they're in another circle and there is an overlap because prophecy was not only telling the future, but it was forth telling, giving God's word straight up and truthful. And, you know, if you're, if you're in leadership or in ministry or a pastor or on TV, you have to tell the truth. Like to, this is a great sermon today. It's a lot of fun. But, heck, well, you know, if you've been with us long enough, we preach some things that are downright difficult and hard to hear and convicting. It's, that's what the Bible is full of, and we need both. Now, this is not an exhaustive list, and for the sake of, of time, or to actually... I thought about a few others that I just wanted to add, three others, because this sometimes names people, not necessarily by name, but nameless situation, and we'll talk about that as well. But I want to throw three more in there that were faithful, and the first one is Caleb. Caleb, <laughs> Joshua 14. This guy assisted and accompanied Joshua to spy for Canaan, and he fiercely opposed the ten faithless spies. And because of some of the things that, that um, Caleb said, in defense of God, they tried to stone these two and kill them. Remember, these are the children of Israel, not the enemy. Okay. In addition, Caleb knew how to wait his turn. He didn't try to cut the line. Caleb wasn't a line cutter. He waited for all the other children of Israel to get their inheritance. And then at 85, I love this guy. He goes, I'm 85 years old. And I'm just as strong as I was when I was in my 40s. And he goes, Lord, you know, he wants to take the, the high places. He wants to drive out the rest of the, you know, the pagan peoples. This guy at 85 years old was willing to climb up that hill and do battle. You know, and God gave him the victory. This man was faithful and knew that up until the very last day of his physical life, God would be with him. And he could do anything if the Lord was with him. Didn't ask for an army. He said, Joshua, do I have permission? Because I'm going to do that. You know, God's made me strong. And I love this because, you know, you hear today, you're too old. You shouldn't be doing that. Why? What is this too old nonsense? Yeah. You're never too old. Don't let anybody tell you you're too old. Yeah. I got Vera over there, elderly woman, 
who makes it here bravely, and her knees bother her. And you know what I wait for at the end of the sermon? For her to come up to me at the end of service and give me two thumbs up. I'm encouraged by that. You're too old nonsense. I love seeing her face in this church. She's an encouragement to me. You're never too old. Take that lesson from Caleb. Go in God's strength. Age is just a state of mind. We're eternal beings. Second person I want to look at is Jonathan. We find him in 1 Samuel. He's the son of King Saul. And from a temporal point of view, he was friends with King da- or David too before he was the king and trusted in God and knew David was anointed. But from a temporal point of view, he could have just said, you know what, made his dad happy and, and just not cared about David and said, you know, I want to be next in line. I'm, I'm my father's son and he's the king. But he didn't. Jonathan never took the easy way out. He always did the right thing and he never put himself first. He knew he wouldn't be king because David was God's anointed. As a matter of fact, there's one portion of scripture. Check this out. His father is just so maddened and, and, and bloodthirsty and has this bloodlust for David and Jonathan stands up for David and his own father tries to kill him he tries to kill him talk about rejection issues I hear a lot of people say I just want peace good luck with that one when you're doing the right thing and you're following God you're not always going to have peace and if you try you'll become a prevaricator you'll become somebody who's double-tongued that's what happens and I lost that battle a long time ago But what we see is that, you know, David, and another point in the scripture, David, his best friend, his his brother, his blood brother, he becomes paranoid because he's on the run. You know, he starts to, listen, these things affect the psyche. And he actually starts opposing Jonathan, and we covered this. And he's paranoid about his loyalty to him. So poor Jonathan here, his father's mad at him, David's mad at him, and really at one point in the kingdom... David's out to lunch. Dad's out to lunch. He's holding the kingdom together. So I love this guy. And a lot of people don't even know who Jonathan is. He had the faith to do the right thing. He had the faith to stay loyal to where he should be loyal, even though it cost him in the end. And the third person, John the Baptist. I love this guy. He is a transitional figure from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And we know that he was Christ's supporting man. He, we know that he tried to, the Bible said that he had to level the field spiritually. He had to go in there with a very tough message before Christ's parousia or his, his advent. What I love about John is he couldn't be bought. John couldn't be bullied. And he never compromised. He didn't play the game. That's what I love about this guy. Probably if he was here today, a lot of Christians would be offended by him. Say, John called me a carnal Christian. What does that mean? John refused to face me on, uh, friend me on Facebook. You know, what's this guy's problem? But he didn't play the game. And, and I've often said this. If the Apostle Paul, God brought him back and he was to do speaking engagements, even at some Calvaries, I guarantee he'd be offending a lot of people. Oh, you know, history has a way of making us look romantically about figures in the past. Read some of Paul's writings. Read the entire Bible. Read all the letters that he wrote. I tell you what, if he preached from any pulpit, there would be some that would be offended by his preaching. But you know what? John the Baptist had the faith to even live in society and not be accepted. Verse 33, move on. 
So he's speaking about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. So great victory. There's some generality spoken, but I think we can kind of fill in the blanks. I mean, there was a lot of battles and a lot of victorious, so, you know, you can't, you can just put a few people in those categories. But stopping the mouths of lions in verse 33, Daniel surviving the lion's den. 34, quenched the violence of fire. The three Hebrews surviving the fiery furnace. And 35, women received their dead to life. Remember, Elijah resurrected the widow of Zarephath's son. However, there were those that didn't accept deliverance to obtain a better resurrection. Some were, were, uh, there were some glorious endings and some there were some humiliating endings. And really, it's not for us to decide which one we're going to be a part of. It's for God. It's up to his sovereignty. He knows best. But they obtained a better resurrection. They rose really to a better life. There's a concept known in, in the Bible as the first resurrection and the second resurrection. Jesus was the first fruits of that first resurrection. And then the saints in Jerusalem that came out of the graves and, and appeared to many in the city. And then we know the rapture in our near future, right? And we know the tribulation saints. So that's really all part of that first resurrection. And then the second resurrection is the place that you don't want to be. That's for the rebellious dead to be risen, resurrected, and stand before judgment at, the, at God's great white throne judgment. However, these people with a better resurrection, they trusted God completely. I don't know about you, but if you've ever been in a life-threatening situation, your mind and your body starts to do things to try to do self-preservation. Nobody wants to die. You know, if you've ever been in that situation, whether a serious car crash or maybe, you know, you were mugged and somebody stuck a gun in your belly and said, give me the money or whatever the case may be, you know, your adrenaline starts pumping and you're thinking survival, survival, survival. Some of these believers were tortured for their faith, were slaughtered. And many of them could have said, oh, you know, I don't believe in Jesus. I'm okay, you know, let me go. And they would have been, especially in the, in the Roman persecutions, but they didn't. But they rose to a better resurrection. They were allowing their lives to be given up because they knew that something better was waiting for them. Not an easy thing to do if you've been in that situation. Uh, 35, let's continue. Let me go to 35B. Again, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourging, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all of these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. Stop there. How do we rectify the two? We just saw a whole bunch of verses of victory, and then we just saw a whole bunch of verses of defeat. What is that, how does that uh, jive with maybe some of the things you've seen on TV from some of these so-called faith preachers that say everything should be well all the time? You should always be successful. You should always be healthy. Not according to the scripture, it doesn't say that. As a matter of fact, in Revelation 14, 13, in, in our future, 
The Bible says, Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. So some believers in the future, Antichrist comes, the world is completely poised against God and his people, not popular at all, even in probably the United States being a Christian, and they start to, people start to lose their lives in great numbers. But it says, blessed are the dead. They're going to rest from their labors. Because we're just seeing things from the temporal. God sees things. He sees the big picture. Again, it's not a shameful thing to suffer for the Lord's sake, even at times to be poor, to be sick, to have trials, to die. It doesn't mean that we don't have faith. That's nonsense. That's, that's, um, that's theater. That's theatrical. That is not Christianity. But the difference is, heck, we all want to go out with a bang, don't we? We want to be the people in the first few verses. But we have to leave that up to God's sovereignty. It's his decision how we glorify him, because our life is not our own. I want to read something from Warren Wiersbe on the subject in his book, Be Confident. I really enjoy some of his insight. And he says this. He says, it takes more faith to endure than it does to escape. Like the three Hebrew children, we, tr- we should trust God and obey him. And it says, he quotes them, even if he does not deliver us. They were prepared for that scenario. But he did in that particular scenario. He says, faith enables us to turn from the approval of the world and seek only the approval of God. Not an easy task. If God is glorified by delivering his people, he will do it. If he sees fit to be glorified by not delivering his people, then he will do that. We must never conclude that the absence of deliverance means a lack of faith on the part of God's children. For some who have been indoctrinated into that faith hype, that's a little tough to stomach, but pray about that because the scripture is very clear about that. And it says in verse 38, the world was not worthy of them. The world's not worthy today either. You know, we, I would suggest you get the voice of the martyrs. It's a great periodical, it's free, and it chronicles the current persecution of Christians. And it's so sad, some of these stories to read. But um, the world's not worthy of them. They're in a better place. And then the last few verses, I'll read 39 again. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. So you see there's some difference in time tenses here. Basically, it ties everything together. The Old Testament saints believed God. Abraham, righteousness was credit to Abraham because he believed God. Everything that God said, including the Messiah. Moses, we spoke about, prophesied about Jesus Christ many thousands of years ago. So all these Old Testament saints believed in the promise of the Messiah. And then when Jesus died, he died for their sins as well. So everything got tied together with Jesus as that mooring point, as that anchoring point. Past, present, and future. Time doesn't mean anything in God's economy. Now, when we get into Hebrews 12, we're going to see that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith, and we'll talk about that too. It's good stuff. Let me just say this, that the Holy Spirit, through this book, seems to present a rosy picture of the character of the heroes of faith. And some of you, now that we talked about even their failings, might be a little surprised. I never heard that before. But God is a good parent. He loves his children, and he thinks the better of us. And God knows what he can do through every single one of us. The single mom who's here, who's struggling, to the guy whose whose business is being run into the ground and he doesn't know how he's going to make his next paycheck, to the elderly person who's struggling with physical ailments. God has a purpose for you and a plan. Give him a chance. 
to work through your life. And I'll tell you this, let me just make the parallel here. You know, rosy picture, heroes of faith, sinners like you and I. But he speaks so wonderfully about them through the, through the Holy Spirit. Let me just make a parallel. If you were to ask me about my son, my 14-year-old, only kid I got, and you would ask me about him, I wouldn't say, well, I just disciplined him today and I took away his game. And, you know, I wouldn't speak about his failures. My eyes would light up and I would tell you about my son. He's doing good in school. He's a great kid. He's very, he's very good with younger children. He's an usher now. He's setting a good example in the church. And, and I would just light up and beam and tell you about my son. He's not going to tell you about his failures. So it's the same thing God does with us. And I just heard somebody saying today, I'm, I have a tendency to beat myself up. Stop doing that. Because God doesn't want you to be beat up. He wants to empower you. He wants to strengthen you. Right? God loves his children. And I have to tell you this too. It isn't about Samson and Jephthah and Gideon this morning. It's about you. Second Chronicles 16 in the Old Testament and Luke 10, in the New Testament, God is always looking. His eyes are always scanning the surface of the earth, looking for people who are looking up at him and saying, Lord, use me. He wants to show himself strong through you. All of you, every single person in this room, every single person living, listening to the CD or on the website. These people were no better than you. But they had faith. They trusted God. They relied upon God. They believed in God. They had confidence in God, but it starts small. So before we close, I just want you to think about that. If you don't know the Lord, it starts with salvation. If you've come in here this morning and you really you don't know Jesus, you don't have a relationship with him because you just don't know. You weren't taught. Nobody showed you the way. Well, now you know. Your faith will start with salvation, and we'll give you that opportunity to believe that Jesus did die for your sins. That when we read the, the verses on this black and white page, it's so powerful. This had to be inspired by God. It just makes so much sense. The Holy Spirit is working through you, regenerating you, trying to quicken you to life, your spirit, so that you can have that relationship with him. So before we close today, I want everybody to really think about this on your way home. Talk about it with your family members. Pray about it and see how you fit in in the body of Christ. What is God going to do with you? Are you going to be an evangelist? Are you going to be an encourager? Are you going to be an administrator? Look at all the, the, the fruits of the Spirit. There's so many, or the gifts of the Spirit. We, we learned about the fruits of the Spirit. So the gifts of the Spirit, there's dozens of them. There's something for everyone in this room. So I just want to encourage you with that before we close. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your word as always. And this is so exciting. It's so exciting because there's a 